A couple of months ago, I met with our staff team to talk about the vision of our church. And what we did during our Tuesday time is we made a list of our four biggest programs as a church. And then we sort of evaluated every program by our mission statement. So we took a look at every program and said, how well are we doing and focusing each program according to our three purposes as stated in our mission statement, which is to make disciples who love God, love other people, and serve the world. And I don't know why in this exercise what possessed me to do this. I'd like to think it was the Holy Spirit. But I just had our team just rank them. Like, you know, how are we doing in each? What's the focus of each? Rank them. And I wasn't knowing where this was going. I think normally when you're leading a meeting, you should have an idea of where this is going. But I really didn't know. And so we just started to rank every program in terms of how effective and what sort of focus are we putting to each of these purposes. And when we rank them all on this chart, it was really evident what we saw. I think what was revealed is that there is one category that ranked dead last in our evaluation, which is serve the world. So the other programs were focused on loving God and loving other people, but the least amount of focus was on making a difference in this world. And we were looking at this and just finding this completely unsettling, like, wow, um, this is stirring up something for us. Um, what are we going to do, you know? Now, it's interesting because uh, our young adults have a home group, and I didn't know this, but they were having, independently on their own, their own conversation about a very similar topic. And in this home group, they're looking and they're, they're thinking about our church and they're like, you know something? According to all our three purposes, serve the world is getting the least amount of focus. And so when I heard that and I'm thinking about uh, the conversation we had on staff, it was a little bit of a wake-up call for us. And so when we... During summertime, I'm praying and I'm asking God during the fall, like, what should we focus on? And during a time of prayer, it was just like a moment of clarity, like, Andrew, isn't it obvious? Uh, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, let's make this whole season about reminding the church of our mission. Because we're not just called to enjoy God's grace, but we are also called to extend his glory to the entire world. And as we are focusing on our call to serve the world, I was thinking about this like, who do you think needs to be reminded of this the most? And I'll be honest with you, I think I, think I need to be reminded of this the most. I've been asking myself, am I more passionate about the mission of our church now more than I was five years ago? And I, I think in my own heart, if I'm being honest, I feel like I've kind of been slipping. You know, it's the law of entropy, you know. 
And the mission isn't new anymore, but it is still exciting. And I want to be faithful, and I, I need to be reminded. So maybe I need this series as much as you do too. And so this is our opportunity to remind ourselves why we exist as a church and what it looks like for us to make a difference in the world. Now, if you would look in your bulletin, Lynn and Marilyn put together a little booklet, and it's a bit of a preview on what you can expect for the series. So if you just grab that booklet out, I'm just going to give you a very quick preview of what you can expect. Um, So today's topic, I'll roll that out in a little bit, but in the two weeks after this Sunday, we're going to talk about simplifying our lives. Now, our church has done a great job in giving generously, but I would say for most of us, myself included, it hasn't been really giving to the point of sacrifice, Uh, not to the point of radically cutting down our own cost of living, and, and so we're going to talk about that for the next two weeks. Uh, for the first half of this series, I want to give credit to David Platt and his book, Radical. been very, very helpful for me in framing the scope of our mission, especially today's topic that we're going to go into a little bit. And I think when it comes to simplifying our lives, we have a lot of room to grow. And during this time, we want to ask really relevant, um, I guess kind of controversial questions. But we're not asking them because they're controversial. We're asking them because they're really relevant. Like, is it okay for me to own property in the Bay Area? I think that's a fair question. Anyone feeling uncomfortable right now? Um, What about saving for retirement? Uh, What about saving for kids' education? And uh, what about getting down to really the the nitty-gritty and applying biblical wisdom? Because these are the issues that we really struggle with. Now, if you're in college... Um, and you're normally sitting over there, you can kind of wave at me. Hello. I I just want to say that these messages are for you. They are incredibly for you. And the idea is we're hoping that you are going to get a foundation set before, in a sense, these things really start to apply in a big way. And uh, it's, it's because, you know, once you're out of college, and I think we can attest to this, the stakes are higher. And there's just more to lose, am I right? And so it's better to cultivate your garden now while the weeds are small. Amen? Okay. Okay, let's just go on. Um, uh, So this is for you is my point. Now, uh, so uh, if you look on that little pamphlet, we're going to hit topics like environmental justice, And that's something that affects everyone and is accessible to everyone. So that's coming your way. And then in October, we're going to talk about global missions. We're going to talk about changing the world. And when we talk about God's big plan for the world from the beginning, there is a huge part, and I'm really convicted about this, there's a huge part of that plan and God's heart that I think most Christians, especially in America, are missing. They've missed it. And so what we want to do in the middle of the series really is cover what I'm calling a huge hole in our gospel. And then in November, uh, we want to cover some new ground. What we want to do in November is we want to present a biblical case for why every Christian should care about political reform. 
So I don't know, do you, do you guys care about political reform? Well, what we want to do is we want to present the biblical case for why every Christian should. So we are going into politics. Yay! Um, now, this is new ground for most of us, definitely myself. And so in the series, we're going to save that to the very last. So we just have more time to prepare, really. I mean, uh, but I, I'm excited about the series because it has some reoccurring themes that need to be reinforced, need to be reminded where we need to go deeper, you know, simplify and all that. But then we also have some new ground to cover. So more of the old that needs to be enforced and some of the new that's new territory. Uh, Pastor Gary Vanderpaul spoke at our last retreat, and this is one of the nuggets that I took away from that retreat. He said, the mission of God in social justice is so broad and so varied that it has room enough for everyone to find a niche. Now, what that means is that during this topic, we're going to cover a wide variety of topics, and not every topic every Sunday is going to be your topic of greatest passion, and that's okay. But we do want to ask you, because the mission is so broad and so varied, where is your niche? Because everyone needs to, in a sense, find their niche and their calling in God's movement of missions. All right? So that is where we are headed. And uh, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you all to just stand up, and I'd like to, I'd like to bless our uh, series and our learning together. Uh, I am going to ask that God's going to do something way beyond what I can do. And so that's where I just feel like, oh, I got, we got to pray. And so would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, you are a communicating God. And one of the things that we love about your Holy Spirit is that he speaks, he whispers, he convicts. The Holy Spirit knows how to take the word of God and to make it personal. And Lord, we love it when you speak. We love it when you call us. We love it when your kindness leads us to repentance. And so I'm asking God during this series, and of course today, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to our hearts. That it would be much more than just my words. But the word of God would be convicting and the Holy Spirit would be speaking And you would do much more than I could possibly do alone. We ask that you would be glorified in this time. That you would expand our hearts. And you would break our hearts. And you would lead us to repentance. Because it's an act of your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. All right, let's uh, load up today. Now... Again, we're going to talk about a a wide variety of topics, and as I said, not every topic in this series is going to be your passion, and that's okay. But let me just say this. Having said that, let me say this. Today's topic, I actually think, in a sense, should be something that everyone should be passionate about, all right? And it would make sense because I'm starting off with the first one. I don't think the topic today is optional. I think it's mission critical, In fact, I think it's so central to the heart of God and it's so big that everyone can and must stand in it. In fact, it's so big and it's so central, it's made it to the first three words of our mission statement. This is not, in a sense, something new. And our mission statement is this, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this, that the truth 
this truth is at the very core of my understanding of ministry. I think about it very often. It compels me. It drives me every day as a pastor. And this is the truth that I'm talking about, and it all starts with Jesus. Now, the, here it is. Here's, you, you can hang this message on this hook, okay? Jesus impacted the world. We live in year 2018. It's really a count from his birth. Jesus impacted the world. Countless lives, hearts, cultures has been transformed because of Jesus. Jesus has changed the world. I don't think anyone's going to argue with me about that fact. And he did it. I mean, if you look at his strategy, if you look at how he spent his time during his three-year ministry, Jesus impacted the world by investing in 12 people. Now, as I understand the mission of God, Jesus is inviting, commanding all of us to join him in changing the world by investing in the few. Jesus cared for the masses by investing in the few. It's like Jesus says, hey, think big. Now join me. Let's go small. Now, let me start by talking about all the things that Jesus never did. Uh, That doesn't sound right, but there's some value in this argument, so just follow me for a little while. Let me tell you all the things that Jesus never did. Jesus never preached in America Asia, or Africa. He never saw the conversions of thousands and thousands in stadiums full of people. Actually, he was abandoned by by thousands. He never wrote a best-selling book. But now, strategically and practically, you know what he did do? He poured his life into 12 people. All right? Now, if you turn with me to John 17, uh, we're going to go through this quickly. John 17, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's praying, he's pouring out his heart to God. Uh, This is a very famous prayer. And what you see him doing is he's talking repeatedly, repeatedly about a small group of men that God had given him to disciple. Now, I'm just going to read a few words from this prayer, and we're just going to go quickly. Verse 6, think about these words. Jesus prayed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's the 12. Verse 12. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. He's talking about the 12. He's still talking about the 12. Verse 12. While I was with them. Them who? Them, the 12. I kept them in your name which you have given me. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they, the twelve, that they, the few, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Last one, verse 19, for their sake, the twelve, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. So I want you guys to think about this, like during the last undisturbed, quiet time that Jesus had where his life is coming to an end and he's pouring out his heart before God, he is thinking about the few. He's he's saying, I manifested your name to them. I am glorified in them. I kept them in your name. My joy fulfilled in them that they may be sanctified. 
Jesus, during his last moments, was thinking about the 12 a lot. And it makes sense, because during his earthly ministry, Jesus spent more time with these 12 men than with anyone else in the world put together. And so it makes sense, because he gave his life to them, he gave everything precious and sacred to them. So now, in his final minutes, who is he thinking about? The few. Ah, But keep this in mind, Jesus was loving and caring for the world. He never kept his eye off the big picture. He was loving and caring for the world by investing in the 12. He cared for the masses by investing in the few. Now, after this prayer in the upper room, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And then he rose from the grave and he appeared once again to his disciples. And then the eleven gathered around him. And I want you to consider this. We actually don't have a lot of teaching uh, between the time of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. We don't have a lot. But in the Gospel of Matthew, this is what we got. Now imagine someone rising from the dead to give you these words. Here they are. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You might be familiar with these words. And Jesus says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I just want to point out that when we talk about making disciples, there are a lot of people that go, yeah, that's for, like, mature people. We have a lot of Christians that say, yeah, 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 make disciples. That's for really holy people, the holy people. You know, that's for people who know the Bible. That's for people who have all these verses memorized. But that's not me. I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. You know, that's for them. That's for them. And when I read these words of Jesus, it seems pretty clear to me that he's not just talking to, like, the few. He's not talking about the elite. He's really talking like this is for all Christians. So in other words, you imagine Jesus saying, look, this is for every Christian. Christian, you can do this. You don't don't think... Like you have to be as extroverted or as charismatic as on. You don't have to be as wise or as good looking as Calvin. You don't have to be as humble as me. You know, you can do it, right? You can do it. I mean, imagine Christians like, Jesus like, no, this is, this is for you. You, everyone. And that's why when I read the Great Commission... Jesus is talking like, every Christian can do this and must do this. You guys, Jesus is not looking for Bible scholars. He is looking for people with a willing heart. Is that you? I mean, he gave one of the most important roles to Mother Mary. She was uneducated. She was poor. But you know what she had? 
I'm willing to do it, Lord. If you say it, I'm willing to do it. Is that you? God's not looking for no Bible scholar. He's looking for a willing heart. Someone who would say, you know, I'm really busy, but if Jesus said, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this a priority. Are there people like that in our church? I'm not asking for Bible scholars. I'm asking for people with a willing heart who would say, okay, Jesus, I'm willing to do it. But it's, it is interesting because in this case, we're going to, in this series, we're going to make the case that God calls every Christian to change the world. God calls every Christian by his grace to extend his glory to the entire planet. But it's interesting because if you look at the American church and you look at the strategies for doing this, this is the American church, you know. Uh, the American church like, change the world? Okay. I don't know if the American church is actually saying that, but, but let's say, I, I know the American spirit. Like, if you're like, okay, Jesus, change the world. I think the American church is like, okay, let's do it through programs. Woo! Right? We have the best program. Right? Are you guys with me? Right? We're going to slides that are smooth and the best worship and smoke going to come out of spotlights. Right? And program. Right? That's, that's, Amer- that's American church. Or the American church is kind of like, you know, we're going to have the most charismatic preacher up here. And then you invite your friends. And then he going to do or she going to do all the work. We just invite them. Imagine Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Imagine Jesus saying, no, no, no. The strategy is not that complicated. Imagine Jesus saying, the strategy is everyone, everyone engaged, building relationships, Saying, I'm willing, Lord, use me, making disciples. What's the master plan? What's you making disciples? I don't think it's that complicated. You can love, you can serve, you can build relationships. But are you willing? Uh, Let me say this. At the end of your lives... uh, uh, I, if I could look at each of you in the eye, I would love to say this. At the end of your lives, if you did one thing, I'm talking about the do, not be, I'm talking do. If you did one thing, if you spent your life making disciples, I guarantee, who, who am I? I? I guarantee from the basis of the, of the scripture, you will not regret that decision. You will know that that was a life well spent, that that was worth it. Uh, and so I think the application for us, um, it's right here in the Great Commission. I'm not going to like make up stuff. It's just right here, and I think it would just be great wisdom if I follow the simple instructions of Christ. You're like, okay, what are you calling us to do? Well, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So really, the application for the rest of this message is go, help me out here, and then baptize and then teach. And so in your car, you're like, hey, what did Pastor Andrew talk about? Go and yes, thank you, Brian. Okay, Okay, let's start with go, 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 go. Okay, uh, when Denny gets up here on Sundays, I, I love how Denny's just owning this moment. But, so when Denny gets up here on Sunday, he goes, guys, I have a big challenge for you, right? He's wearing all the really tight 
shirt and the, got the muscles and everything, right? I got to go across the aisle and meet someone who's really old or really young, right? And they go, oh, yeah, we get up, we go, right, right, okay. It's the same application. Go means, and we just want to personalize it, it means it's the same thing. Get off your seat. Get off where it's comfort. Go to a place that doesn't feel very comfortable and build relationship. It's, it's really as simple as that. Uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. He said, what you have heard from me is writing to Timothy in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Now, I just want to point this out really quick. In this one verse, there are four generations of Christians. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to other people who can pass it down. Four generations. Now, let me just say this. It's really hard to do that in a church where everyone is your same life stage. And I just want to point this out. If you look around, we're not that church. We are the church that actually has all four generations, which is really, really awesome. We are sitting on a unique opportunity. We have people in every life stage in our church, so there is room for everyone or for most people to have a Paul in their life and to have a Timothy. So why don't we make the most of it? College students, if you're here for a season of time, why not make the most of it? Everyone is here, in a sense, for a season of time. Why not make the most of it? I I always remember Johnny. During the first wave of college students coming to our church, I always remember Johnny coming right up to me. There he is. Look at that handsome face. Um, And he came up to me, and I think he was a sophomore, and, you know... He's just really, um, he's really friendly. Came out to me, uh, extended his hand. Hi, Pastor Andrew. I, I really like your church. I'd like to make this my home church. I'm like, hey, that's cool, you know. And so he kept on coming back. And then we had a, a young adult group. He went to the young adult group. And then he asked one of our board members to be his mentor. And then after he met Michelle, he asked Raina and I to do premarital counseling. And so it was such a complete joy to just meet them, get to know them, counsel them, and and officiate their wedding. It was such a rush. And then we sent him off to med school. (laughs) I'm just saying we got a really good thing going here. Now, some of you might be like, hey, Pastor Andrew, that sounds really cool. I would like to do something like that, either be a mentor or be a mentee. Can you help me? It's just kind of hard to get on board. How do, how do you do this thing? Like, like Johnny just came up to you, but I don't know. You're, I don't want to really come up to you, Pastor Andrew. W- what do we do? Okay, so do you know we have a mentoring core team? And I actually asked them this question. I said, this Sunday, I'm going to come up here. I'm going to make, make, make disciples. There's potential mentors and mentees in the pew. What, what, what would you have me say to them? They said, look, if someone is interested in being mentored, or if some, someone is interested in, um, in mentoring another person, then write down your name in the communication card. I think you all have it. And then put it in the offering when it comes around. Now, the, the team will get together. We'll pray. If we know you, we'll prayerfully consider who we could match you up with. If we don't know you, we'd like to get to know you. Maybe we'll give you a call or maybe we'll, we'll take you out to coffee, get to know you, understand some of your needs, and try to do a little bit of matchmaking. It's better than coffee meets bagel. 
Um, and so we would, we, would be, we would love to do that for you guys, uh, and we'd be honored to. Uh, uh, okay, point number two. Now the first one, again, is go make disciples of all nations, and the next one is baptizing. Okay, I'm not going to really explain what baptizing is, because I think you all know uh, Jesus is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want to make this point. I think there are some people here who are like, I can't disciple people because I don't know a lot of the scriptures, or I'm not this great teacher. And then I think I would respond to you and say, yeah, but you're a Christian, right? You know Jesus, right? You see, there's a lot of space between going to meet new people and baptizing them. And it's all under the umbrella of making disciples. So it's building relationships with people at your work, at your school. It's meeting your neighbor across the street. It's people in the PTA. It's people in your class. It's people down the hall. That is all part of making disciples. Now, I think of Linda from our church, and she's right there on the screen, uh, who went to San Diego to care for her mother who was struggling with lung cancer. And she says to her mom, Mom, can I pray for you? And that's kind of a new area for them. Uh, Linda's right in the middle, and her mom is right beside her. And mom said, yeah, you can pray for me. Please pray for me. And she said, Mom, can I have my church pray for you? And mom said, no, because that's kind of shaming, you know, having everyone know about her lung cancer condition. But with time, and Linda asking again, I think Linda's mom realized that we care about her. And God is a God of great power and great compassion. So she said, yeah, you can have your church pray for me. And then there was one time when Linda was visiting in San Diego that her plane was delayed, so she had an extra hour to spend with her mom. And so she shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her mom during that extra hour that God provided. And she explained how God loved the world that he gave his one and only son to pay for the penalty of sin that we may be forgiven and free. And Linda turned to her mom and said, Mom, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And her mom said, yes. And she said, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And she said, yes. And she received Jesus right there. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to make disciples. You just have to have a willing heart. Number three. So remember the first point was go, right? And uh, make disciples of all nations. And the next one is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the next one is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Now, again, I, I'm going back to this voice of ejection because I really feel like it's there. I think people hear this and say, okay, right, Pastor Andrew, but I don't have the gift of teaching. I am not good at teaching. You guys, when Jesus says, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, I don't think this is just a command for teachers. This is something, when Jesus says it, that he's expecting everyone to do. 
everyone doing this together is much more effective than just saying, oh, I'm going to leave that to the experts. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you all to think about this. Let's say that there's a Christian, maybe a new Christian, and this Christian is learning how to pray, okay? What do you think would be more effective? Oh, you're learning how to pray. Great. Let's sign you up for a class. So they go and take a class. Or do you think it would be more effective if you actually sat with that person and said, I want to invite you to my quiet time. I want to actually show you how I pray to God and what I've learned in prayer, and we'll do it together. What do you you think is more effective? Uh, Something telling me it's not the class. That doesn't sound very effective to me. Let's say there's a new Christian who wants to learn how to study the Bible. Or they're, they're kind of intimidated to go and engage a homeless man. I know the thing for you. Take a class. Take a class about engaging the homeless man. No. Wouldn't it be way more effective if you said, you know something? I want to invite you to my quiet time and we'll study the scripture together. I want to show you what I've been learning about studying God's word. And then let's go and minister to the homeless person together. Which one is more effective? You are more effective. You, everyone engaged, is way more effective than saying, oh, I want to leave it to the experts. All of us, all of us, was always Jesus' plan. Everyone. What is Jesus looking for? Saying, I'm willing. Jesus, I'm willing to make your priority my own. Now, I guarantee you this. I, I tell you what. If you do this, if you're like, okay, okay, I'm willing to make disciples. I'm willing to be mentor. I'm willing to make disciples. If you do this, you know, I guarantee it's going to raise the bar on your own faith. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you say, okay, I'm going to try to teach someone else to pray. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go home and you're going to work on your own prayer life. I guarantee it. If you're like, no, no, I want to teach this person how to study about it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do some research, and you're going to actively study God's word. It's going to raise the bar on your own discipleship. And everyone here could use that. Why not? The dirty little secret is that when you say, I will make disciples, you actually get more from it than the person that you're teaching. Like right now in this whole room, I'm the one benefiting from this message the most. And it's going to take your relationship with God to the next level. I think of one of our Bible uh, storytellers. He told me this story. We're having lunch. Uh, he, he wanted this to be anonymous. So it's, it's, it's one of our teachers who's upstairs teaching. And he's preparing to give a Bible story to some kids in the classroom and he's thinking about the pearl of great price and he's preparing the lesson and he's thinking about how he's going to give the lesson and he's thinking about the scripture and then suddenly he makes this connection that the person who finds the treasure and sells everything he has to obtain it is God himself. And and we are the pearl that he chooses, the treasure. And, and so the, the grace of God is just flooding his heart and the tears are coming down. He's like, and he's having this Holy Spirit moment because he said yes to making disciples of little kids. And, uh, and even as he's telling me this story, he's like crying. You know, I'm just like, wow, this is like, this is awesome. This is awesome. 
I'm like, you got to share this in the entire church. And he wouldn't, so I'm sharing it for him right now. But Okay, one more word. We're still in the application of teaching. There's a word for every parent in the room. Word for every parent in the room. Parents. There is one role that you have where you are completely irreplaceable. If you don't do this, I love you guys, but I can't jump in and do it for you. And it is this role that you have as a father, mother, disciple maker of your kids. In this role, you are irreplaceable, irreplaceable. Um, Last year, my wife says to me, my wife says to me, um, you should do devotions with the kids. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm like, I've got no time. Because I'm doing devotions with everyone else. I've got no time to do devotions. No, don't judge me, okay? Let me just explain to you what my day is like, right? I pick up the kids. It's a mad dash to get home. Then you got homework. Then you got dinner. And then you got to just rush to put them to bed. I don't got time to do devotions, okay? Right? You all didn't judge me in that? Now, I, I've been telling Raina this, and then it just dawned on me, wait a second, hold it. You know, I do have the car ride. So every day for about 30 minutes, I, I, have, uh, I take the kids to school, and they're all in my back seat, all in a row, right? And so I'm thinking, hold it, wait a second, I do have time with the kids. I got like 30 minutes a day with them, and they're in the back seat, and they're a captive audience. Now, I just, wanna, I just want to point out, I didn't say captivated audience. I said captive audience, because they can't run anywhere. I got them, right, for 30 minutes, right? And so... What we've been doing for an entire year is we will spend the car ride on the way to school doing some kind of Bible devotion. Now, I got to just admit to you, the first week, I was just yelling at them. Like, I'm not kidding. Put the book down. Listen to me. Watch it. You know, it was, it was awful, okay? It was like, for 30 minutes, watch Dad become the Incredible Hulk. That's, that was my first week. But after a year of doing this, I got to say, I got better. The time got better. And I love it. I love it. Like, like uh, we're trying to make it fun, and we're trying to make it interactive. And, and, uh, and you know, honestly, recently we were thinking of switching Ryan to another local school. And I, and I was, you know, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't want to, because then I would miss that devotion time with him in the morning. It's become really precious to me. And, and I actually feel like Raina suggesting it has been a kindness to me. Because I might go through my, their entire adolescence as a pastor and not be able to give them a devotion. <laughs> this is from their daddy pastor. And so it's, it's this kindness of repentance. Like, I'm so glad we're doing it. Um, this, this week we've been talking about supporting missionaries overseas. And they've been writing letters to their compassion kids. I'm just like, oh, this is so good. I, I want every parent to be on this because it's just so good to be doing this. And I, I definitely want this for you, all the parents here in the room. I have one last story. One last story. Uh, I'd like to tell you about my, my first mentor. Uh, he passed away a couple months ago. And, uh, and I was invited to, 
to uh, share at his funeral. I'd like to share with you what I said. I'm just going to tell you what I said. Uh, I was a kid at the time that I, I met Mr. Tai, uh, about 11 years old, and I, I met him at church. But my parents would drag me to church, and that's where I met Mr. Tai. Mr. Tai was always this towering figure, Taiwanese dude, like 6'2", towering figure, thick glasses, big heart, thick accent. He was a gentle giant. Now, a little bit of the backdrop is when I was young, my father died, and Mr. Tai became a father figure to me. And he, uh, he believed in me, and he prayed for me, he cared about me, and he would talk to me about spiritual things. <laughs> I can still hear his voice. I remember the conversation I had with him. I was 11 years old, and Mr. Here's Mr. I can still hear his voice. Mr. Mr. Mrs. Tai, he was, he was like, oh, Enzu, every morning when I wake up, my mind is memorized the scripture. The word of God. That's how we go. The word of God. John 14. I memorize in my mind God's word. No, that, I'm doing a pretty good impression of it. I'm really proud of myself here. He's like, yeah, I memorize the entire chapter. And then he actually started to recite it from memory. The entire chapter. I'm sitting here like, who is this guy, right? Now, I went home. And I was so inspired by Mr. Tai. I memorized all of John 14. Now, I didn't know this, but at the funeral, it was revealed that not only did he memorize chapter 14, he memorized the entire book of John and Matthew. And uh, actually, still to this day, after the funeral, I went home and I memorized another chapter because I was so inspired by Mr. Tsai. Mr. Tsai was my first mentor. But there's another story that I'll never forget, and it has to do with my father. My father was a self-made man, came to America by himself. He studied hard. He found success. But when it came to matters of faith and believing in God, my father, he didn't feel like he needed God. He, didn't need, he was a self-made man. He could find the way himself. I a lot of pride in my dad. And when my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer, and for one year, he lay in bed and he contemplated his life. And for the first time, my dad realized that he couldn't find the way by himself. And all his success and money... It didn't mean that much in the face of terminal cancer, and he needed God. Now, during this time, Mr. Tai, who knew my dad from church, was a willing heart. And he obeyed the command of Jesus to go and make disciples. And so he visited my dad while my dad was lying in bed, and he would read scripture to my dad, and he would pray with my father. And it was through Mr. Tai's ministry and his obedience, his willing heart, that my dad put his faith in Jesus to forgive his sins and to give him eternal life. When my father passed away, I always remember Mr. Tai coming up to me and saying, your dad was my friend. We prayed together. He really believed in God. And I believe you'll see him again. And it, it wasn't until years later that I realized what that all meant. Because my father believed in Jesus, it means that his story is not over, and the best is yet to come, and I'm going to see my dad again. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. And as the years went by, I became a pastor, and Mr. Tai became a retired senior citizen, and one day I realized 
My father is in heaven by the grace of God because Mr. Tai obeyed Jesus and his command to go and make disciples. I owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Tai that I simply cannot repay. So I just figured, well, the least I can do is just call him while I still have the opportunity to do so. Now, I didn't know he was going to pass away a couple, several years after that. And so I called him up. Mr. I called him up, like, out of the blue, you know. And, uh, you know, his hearing was going, I was like, hey, Mr. Tsai, it's Andrew. And, you know, he didn't know. He was like, <clears throat> Enzu, you know. Mr. Tsai, it's Andrew. Oh, Enzu, Enzu Huang, Enzu Huang, Enzu Huang. Yeah, Mr. Tsai, how are you doing? Oh, 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 I'm fine. I said, Mr. Tsai, I've never had the chance to thank you for ministering to my father before he passed away. And I remember you read the Bible to him and you prayed for him. You shared Jesus with him. And Mr. Tsai said, oh, oh, yeah, I remember your father. He really believed. I said, yeah, Mr. Tsai. You ministered to him in his time of need, and you shared the hope of Jesus. And Mr. Tsai was very humble. He was, oh, oh, he wasn't talking about him. He was, oh, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I really feel your father believe. And I said, Mr. Tsai, I've never been able to say this to you before, but thank you. I owe you a debt of gratitude that I can never repay you. And I want to thank you because you have blessed me as my first mentor. And because of your ministry, I'll see my father again. You guys, if we do one thing, do this. Make disciples. At the end of your life, you'll have no regrets. You will have lived a life that was well spent. And you'll know it's worth it. Pray with me. Father, I know that you are not looking for Bible scholars. You are looking for hearts that are saying, I'm willing. I know that we don't have time for this. I know we don't have time for this. We, we, in the Bay Area, we don't have time. But you're looking for people who say, I don't have time for this, but I always have time for God's priority. I have time to obey. I will make time for this. Father, I pray that you would whisper into the hearts of people and in your kindness, you would lead us to repentance to say, okay, God, I'll obey. I'm a willing heart. A final word of instruction for those who are interested either in being a mentor or a mentee, not that this is the only application for this message, I've would encourage you to write your name down on the communication card. Specify, are you willing to be a mentor or a mentee? And then put it in the offering and we will contact you. It'll be worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to respond to God through music and through song, I'm going to invite you for a time to receive prayer from our prayer warriors in the back. Um, a few weeks ago, we learned about the power of prayer and when we ask things in Jesus' name. And so if there's something today that was convicting for you, um, maybe challenging, and you want to talk to him about it, 